Peace and love, family. I am seldom seen, and this is the John Muhammad Podcast Show. And today, my guest is a multi-award-winning filmmaker and film festival director based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. In 2010, he was named Michigan Filmmaker of the Year by the Muskegon Film Festival. He teaches classes in various fields within the cinematic arts, including screenwriting, directing, acting, and more. He has served on the film festival competition jury and speaker panel, as well as the board of directors for several nonprofit media organizations. So without further ado, all my fans and followers show love for we got Anthony E. Griffin in the building. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you so much for having me on here. And thank you, listeners, for uh, checking out this episode. It's much appreciated. Nice, nice, nice. So how your day going so far? So far, so good. Get up early, travel around, um, trying to keep the cats in order. You may right. see the wife of the cats bouncing around in the background at some point. Okay. So uh, enjoy. enjoy. That's a little bonus for us all. <laughs> there you go. Right, right. Yeah, cats are welcome. So they all good. They all good. <laughs> Okay, well, let's dive right in. Sounds good, sir. Tell us a little bit about your life coming up in GR and what kind of led you on that road to become a okay. filmmaker. <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Uh, it's always one that I never really know where to needle drop in my life and have that conversation with people. Uh, I'm a fairly open book when it comes to like past and thoughts and memories. It's how I process story. It's how we all actually process stories is a little bit of that remember when mixed in with like, this is what it did for me, or this is how it affects me. Um, <clears throat> so this story for me really begins, I suppose, in childhood. Yeah. Uh, I grew up out in the country, out in Caledonia, for about the first seven, eight years of my life. Uh, I remember the first movie I ever watched was Steven Spielberg's Duel on TV. I remember that. <laughs> so that kind of dates me a little bit, gives people an idea where it is. Uh, I also remember the first movie I saw at Studio 28, back in the day the theater number two is the shaggy da okay um and i have been enamored with movies and stories ever since i just really enjoy how people work together to tell each other their thoughts and their feelings and uh, it's a really powerful um way for us to 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 feel and reach each other I'm not really sure how to say it. it's terrible. It's, isn't it weird? The storyteller is, has a lack of words at the moment. <laughs> right. I, I think there's just so much weight behind um, wanting to get this right and tell people, particularly your audience, how important it is that we all listen as right. much as we talk. Because I'm a chatterbox, but I also know that I listen twice as much as I chatter. Okay. So I I did a lot of reading. I was pretty quiet as a, as a kid. I didn't really start talking until about three or four um, and I just watched a lot of things. I watched a lot of TV, watched a lot of movies, read a lot of books. Right. And it never really occurred to me that that could be a job, right? It was just something that I did. And eventually uh, I joined the military. I was in the army for four years, three of it active service in Alaska, six months for Desert Storm, and another six months in the army reserve as a military police. Although all I really did is walk around and guard the post in South Bend, Indiana. Right. <clears throat> but I used that time 
to watch every movie I'd get my hands on in the post uh, video store at the time. They actually had these things called video stores back then. Mm-hmm. And I started in the alphabet. I just started A, trying to get to Z, and I would every every movie was a dollar. So every night or every other night or something, I'd go and rent like two or three movies and um, start in the alphabet with A and got all the way down to Z and then kind of went back up through the new releases, just watching everything and, and really figuring out how things were put together. Um, if a movie doesn't really have an attraction to you or a story doesn't have an attraction to you, I've learned that it's okay. It's just not built for you and you're not its audience, but there's always something valuable that can be learned from watching and observing and absorbing how someone else's voice works. Cause it takes a, a village to make a movie and somebody worked really hard and it was incredibly important to them. So like when you pass the the discount bins at the gas station or Somebody says, oh, yeah, that's a garbage movie. Or they see something on streaming. It's like, this is, I was like, you know, somebody worked really hard to put that together. That was their entire dream. It might have been their entire life to get it to that point. Right. So to sort of dismiss it and throw it aside, it's like, no, no, I know how hard it is and how much effort it takes to make something like that. So I watch everything with, uh, I feel the appropriate respect it deserves. Right. And um, have given up my ways of MST3K or, or, or just being snarky for snarky's sake and just kind of try to figure out if there's an end for me and if it hits the points that I've come to expect in the story to really hook me. Nice. So um, <clears throat> I traveled through my life at this point. Um, I graduated from Western Michigan University with a degree in English and writing. I ended up and with liberal arts, of course, you end up in anything other than doing liberal arts in the business world. And I pretty much jumped from job to job working for people doing technology and landed in a job working for an insurance company, fixing all the technology and computers. And, you know, this is really at the dawn and some degrees of the Internet and uh, the beginning of social media and YouTube and all these other types of video platforms, the democratization of digital. Right. Uh, I found myself down at the Grand Rapids Community Media Center. I joined GRTV, where I met Dirk Koenig, who was okay. the ED, the executive director and the leader of that, uh, uh, an icon in our right. industry. Right. And he was, in a lot of ways, my mentor on how to really get started and think about things broadly in messaging. Remember, he used to, he used to ask me what my wild idea was. And I had interpreted it as that you had to have something bigger than yourself it couldn't just be the average idea it had to be the wild idea and i developed that with along with a few other things to start my company unsafe film office and i can tell you this right now people don't name your don't name your company unsafe if you want to get into commercial production (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna break out the fireworks or the gas cans and stuff like that so i had to add a wing to my company call it cinema michigan for the commercials but for narrative fiction unsafe film officer ufo is something that i used for a really long time to make movies and collaborate with other people making movies and i just developed a skill craft doing that and meeting people I also then was a part of the West Michigan Film Video Alliance, um, which I joined as a board of directors eventually and worked in a number of uh, different areas and membership and um, communications. Uh, also, at the same time, did Thriller Chiller Film Festival with my friends, and which is a horror, sci-fi, and action film festival at the Wealthy Theater most of the time. Right. And my wife is involved. We, you know, there's a lot of things we share in common. We have a, a real adept skill in 
in how we enjoy story and how we watch movies. And then we challenge each other with their perspectives on it. Um, her name is Shirley. She loved my life. And it's been, it's been, uh, it's been quite an adventure. I, it seems like every few years where I land somewhere, I don't really much like it. And I move on to do something else. And right. pretty much in the third phase of my career in the last third of my life, working for nonprofits. And I was recently hired at the public media network, their version of the CMC down in Kalamazoo. Right. I'm their director of media education and technology. And I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I'm in charge of fixing all the computers, which is something I'm pretty good at doing, the computers and networks, and also and their cameras, all their equipment, gear like that. But I'm also right. um, expected to help develop and create and teach uh, programs for media and civic literacy. And that's something I'm very passionate about is how our society, particularly the platforms that are being used for and against us with the commercial media and, mm -hmm. you know, how politicians have weaponized our, our talking points and platforms to beat each other up. And I would like people to understand why and how that is happening and teaching people how to be a bit more discerning and not just go for the face value because it's an easy thing to hear or see. And you go, that must be true. I agree with that person. I was like, well, wait a second. Why do you agree with them? What is it exactly that's working for and against you that you really need to have that conversation about? Wow. So my lovely wife, Shirley, has entered the, <laughs> the chat. She'll probably breeze past right, us. Right, right. <laughs> that's what you're hearing right now. Oh, nice. my love. <laughs> this is Mr. John Muhammad, and we're at the Muhammad yes, uh, Seldom Seen Podcast. Yes, yes. Is that yes, correct? Yes. Okay, so that's what we're doing right now. And she's gone. Just like that. <laughs> well, it's actually backwards. I'm seldom seen, and this oh. is the John Muhammad John podcast. Muhammad podcast. Yeah, gotcha. I will work on that when I tell people. I apologize. Yes, no problem. <laughs> okay. There, screw it all up. So there, there it is in a nutshell, uh, kind of like hip-hopping all the way through my life. So, Right, right. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay. Well, tell us about the two things that influence you the most. <laughs> to head in that direction of being a director? So it, that's a, you know, I, I'm not really a fan of directing myself. I'm a, uh, I like to think of myself as a storyteller and a filmmaker, and okay. it's not to punch down the directing. It's a, it's a fine art form. It's a fine job. Mm -hmm. It's also to me, like one of the weakest roles on a movie. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's the only person who sits there and makes the choices about what we're going to do and how we're going to do this and it's not that that's not important but the producer and the storyteller behind the scenes who really kind of prompts that or, or in some in some cases in my case sometimes you have to really prop up that person to get them to get them to go and get forward right and in all due respect in that regard directing is a lot of pressure mm -hmm. and uh there's this idea that you have to be right all the time or my way is the right way all the time and i don't feel that way about working with people Okay. So being put in that position to do it, I, I don't mind directing. Uh, I enjoy getting my vision out there to do it, but I have such a horrible time sharing um, the workload and, and delegating appropriately, not because I don't trust people, but because I feel terrible that I can't pay them. Okay. And at a certain point, certainly when you get enough gray in your hair or in your beard, yeah. it feels like, man, I wish I had the money or I, I'd done this well enough to be able to pay people and respect their time. Right. And asking people to run around the streets in the middle of the night to shoot movies and 
and behave like a teenager is somehow disrespectful to all of us. And so I've gotten to the point where I like to foster the messaging in uh, the younger generation and help them find the right tools and mentor them into becoming the the creatives that they can be. Uh, That really inspires us. That's more my passion in that direction now. So to answer your question, the two things that influenced me when I first started aren't really the two things that are influencing me now to move forward. I can tell you the two skill sets you have to develop. Mm. Uh, the two skill sets you should develop are patience and persistence. Mm. Uh, patience to know when to kind of s- to step back and and listen, get the context of what's happening first. And then the persistence to drive forward to get it done because it really does take that vision to say, this is what we're doing and this is how it's going to be done. And then figuring out how not to injure people along the way, which will happen no matter mm. how you pursue it. Okay. to get it done. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make apology as policy, but it definitely is something where you have, you learn how to take your lumps and apologize for the mistakes you make. And I think I'm sort of in that phase of my career a little bit. I have to be careful not to walk around and go, Hey, you know, as a young person, I'm sorry, I was such a jerk or, right. uh, sorry, such a firebrand. But if I <laughs> didn't do that, if I didn't set those examples or even those horrible warnings for people, right. I wouldn't have the massive body of work that I have now. Okay. Um, and I'm really grateful for all of that. All the people that have helped me get here, every single person that has ever listened to me or, or believed in me and, and had my back when he, when I didn't even have it myself or really understood what I was doing. I'm entirely grateful and appreciative of every single person every single time. Nice, 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 nice. So what are some of the steps that have to be taken in order to launch a movie the right way? You have to know how it ends. Yeah. You must know how it ends. So many times I, this is, this seems to be the new filmmaker blues type of situation. They're really not sure. They know they want to make something and they, mm-hmm. whether they have talent or a skill set for it is inconsequential. Hollywood, they say you can throw a stone in the air and hit many talented people okay. on the way down. Uh, okay. But it takes that persistence and skill set to like drive it to the end. And if you don't have a goal where you're aiming for at the end, you're going to go all over the road. So have an idea of how you want it to end, how you want it to look. So if you, let's say you want to make a feature. Well, on the way to that feature, you might want to make a couple shorts or uh, some some, uh, music videos or something to help really upgrade your skill set so that at least you know when people are trying to shine you on, (laughs) you know what they're talking about and you can protect yourself and set proper boundaries. I wish I had done that much more as a young person when I started out was is knowing when to say no. Because uh, yeah. when you're starting out, it's really just about like, I'll work on anything. I'll do anything I have to. Uh, and I started a little older. I was about 33 when I finally got into filmmaking, 32, 33. Yeah. So I wasn't really willing to run around and, and coil cable and get people coffee and fiddle sticks around. I was operating on the mindset that I was behind the eight ball and that I was running out of time. Okay. So I operated with everything a lot of ways at the at that time, 20 years ago, where I was frightened that I was not going to be able to do what I wanted to do because I was out of time. Okay. And a lot of my contemporaries, the people I came up with were younger. They were anywhere from five to 10 years younger than me. And okay. so 
they would look sometimes look at me as like, well, you're the older guy. You've got money. What do you want to do? I'm like, I'm, hey, I'm just trying, I'm here to figure this out and listen and, and do right. what I had to do. And right. and, we uh, together. Try not to look like an ATM machine. Right. So it, it right. was, it, it was a really fascinating thing. And um, I would say you have to be collaborative. You have to know your value. Um, you have to know when to kind of lay, lean back and then when to lean in. And uh, it, it's 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 such a tough thing to do because when many you think you should lean in, you should be leaning back. Mm-hmm. The minute you pay for something and then realize you didn't get really get any value out of it, you're like, God, what was that? But every one of those experiences, you're going to learn something from. Right. And my good friend, Chris Randall, put it to me this way, <laughs> the dozens of mistakes I've made and the ups and downs of my reputation from making those mistakes was everybody pays for film school. Okay. It doesn't matter whether you go to college to do it or not, everybody pays for film school. Wow. And um, the, the nice thing about film school, because I get this asked this question a lot, should I go to college for this or not? And more often than not, in this day and age, you don't need to go to a traditional institution to learn how to do it. The platforms are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tools are there, right? You can make them on your phone if you're if you're so inclined. And there's, right. it, it doesn't matter. It's the message that gets out there and that people hear and they see and they process and they attach you as the person who created that message. Okay. Um, you can get certified in any number of things. There's lots of online degree certificates mm-hmm. and things of that nature. I, as someone who's certainly been to a number of traditional institutions and just finishing up my master's degree in film uh, studies and screenwriting. Nice. With those things, those are tools I can use to teach more people, but they're not requirements to be able to go make something. Uh, never, never use that, this or any of those kinds of things as your own personal gatekeepers. Just go make it. Okay. Um, uh, I really say respect people, but if they're not going to be uh, someone who's going to be your champ, they don't have to be your champion or cheerleader. And I think about they, they just have to be able to say, hey, I believe in you. Go for it. Uh, I'll be happy to buy a ticket to your show when it's done okay. but the people are like oh what kind of kind of porn you're making it's just like you know, what? <laughs> you know i got that so much when i first started out that was like the go-to joke like probably when people right. go to um the store and they try to do a scanner thing and it doesn't beep up you go hey it must be free right you know it's like right. <laughs> i've heard so many people tell me like so what kind of porn you make you know, it's right. just like, yeah, you know what a great way what a great way to degrade that. But then, of course, right. something like OnlyFans shows up and people make millions of dollars doing exactly that. They put a video up and they sell themselves and okay. they get millions of dollars. Do it. I don't have one of those, nor will I ever. But mm-hmm. I can certainly see how I would never begrudge a person of their audience, right? If you can find people that will exchange their time and their money for what you do, there's there's a way to make a living. And I salute, right? Please do okay. it. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the film you made. Sure. I believe it was Red 7. Yes, Red 7. Red 7, that's the one yeah. you uh, you got Filmmaker of the Year for. So tell us about that movie and why were you so compelled to make that make that movie? Uh, it's That's fascinating. Well, so Red 7 is, is part of the body of work that the Muskegon Film Festival looked at. Uh, for a number of things I'd made up until that point to 2010, I'd been making a lot of movies uh, with a number of people, but primarily out uh, in Lansing. I was, it's like I've been in other state, Detroit, Lansing, um, Kalamazoo, Battle Creek, on the Lakeshore, Muskegon. And they, uh, I had done the Thriller Chiller in Muskegon the first year. So I got to meet the organizers of the Muskegon Film Festival. 
And I'd done a, a bit of work here and there. I'd helped them put together um, like their own sort of version of a horror festival that they were looking to try to do. And yeah. um, so developing that relationship with them, of course, with anything is an, is an imperative. Um, it's those types of things that end up getting people going, oh, I'm, I know this person. I know what they're doing. I watch what they're doing. Of course, it's the dawn of Facebook. So everybody sees everybody at that time and what they're up to. And the work was getting its recognition. One of those movies is Red 7. It was the third film that I had directed, but like the second one that had been released. I'd made it for a competition in Philadelphia known as Project 21. Okay. You had three weeks to make a movie based on a common element. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, that's people do that in 12 hours, right? They just whip out their phones, whip something together, create 60 yeah. seconds, and they're ready to go. Okay. This one, we use old tape-based systems. I had my DVX-100A. Love that camera from Panasonic. It was like my Stratocaster. Right. And got together a group of friends, talked about how we're going to do it. Uh, my good buddy, Justin Michong, uh, helped me put together the script. He's a fantastic screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, we just had really in sync with our stories. And and we we kind of created this sort of pilot idea that anything that we were going to make with noir or drama was going to be set in this place called victory city so it's mm -hmm. one of our our first victory city stories and um <clears throat> doesn't exist it's all invented it's just an amalgamation of different cities from movies and, and places that we lived with cool architecture right. and we put together the movie shot it really fast edit it uh, sent it in and it did really well. We were really surprised. It was only one of 21 films at the time. They only offered 21 slots and to come from Grand Rapids, Michigan to go to Philadelphia, it truly is the city of brotherly love. We were immediately embraced and vetted and the people there were just uh, lovely. The organizers did such a wonderful job with the event and it really inspired me with a number of other things that I did after that. Um, the movie itself played around the world, uh, won some awards uh, here and there. It was like it was like the B movie of the week for an online festival. They were like, oh, this is incredible. Just right out of the blue, they saw it and loved it. And it inspired me to keep working on, on things. It also actually, you know, it's very interesting about Red 7 was that it also alerted me to the fact that awards after you win your first couple – they don't really mean anything. They're, in fact, they're a really good way to kind of screw you up and keep you down mm -hmm. because everything you make, then you feel like should be winning an award. I should be recognized for it. And you start attaching your value as a person to whether or not you win an award for something you make, which is very romper room. Okay. And it's not necessary. Once you make it, it's really not yours anymore. You let it go in the world and it lives and dies based on what it is. And if it finds its audience and that particular movie speaks to someone and they enjoy it, there's nothing better. But then you have to take the flip side of it. If someone watches it and they don't like it and they they punch down on it or they're jealous of it or they they hate you for making stuff or whatever, it's like then you have to absorb and carry that too. It didn't make any sense to me. So right. I stopped caring about awards after, of course, I won quite a bit of them with the work and just decided that I wasn't going to really make that my brand, talking about all the cool shit I make. Um, I do put the thing in there about the Michigan Filmmaker Award because that's like an overarching piece that people immediately go, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And there was a section of time there where 
several festivals in in subsequent years, I think like 2009 to 2012, were issuing their Filmmaker of the Year awards. And this is right at the end of the film incentives kind of disintegrating. Mm -hmm. So they called me up and they they had some money. They were going to turn down the festival and their organization. They had some money left over. And they were like, hey, we want to give it to you in the form of this award. Um, what do you think? And the first thing I did was like, well, you know, I think we should just give it to as grants to other filmmakers. We could do this and this. And I love Sarah. She goes, yeah, that's really lovely. If you want to do that with your with the money, that's great. But we're done. We're, we're not going to make any more of these <laughs> kinds of things to do it. And I was like, oh, OK, I, I get it. So I, I grateful, graciously and gratefully accepted the cash, went and bought myself a brand new camera. Mm -hmm. And taught myself how to do it and, and kept making some Project 21 movies with that camera and, and did okay with that. I made five, six movies in total for them over five, six years. And each one of them did really well. And every time going there was just a dream. I absolutely loved going to Philadelphia and being a part of their community and, and getting to know the city a little bit better and the people and the artists there. It, yeah. it was nice because it it in some ways felt alienating or alone or isolating in some ways to be here because it wasn't I didn't I didn't make the kind of work that was going to be put on the big screen I wasn't really insinuated into the the filmmaking channels to make the features that were coming here because I wasn't going to be the kind of guy to go work for you know some hack producer from Hollywood for free right. and uh, even though I was on the film video alliance at the time and meeting a lot of people and everything and supporting their work I think it was just sort of alienating. People kind of looked at it like, oh, he's the guy that works this computer job and makes narrative fiction. Um, I've had people come to me and go, oh, you're my you're my arch nemesis. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I'm just a dude that makes movies. And I'm like, you know, you just this kind of thing and then build a relationship with them and find out that really what it was, it was it's a reflection of somebody inside them. If you're upset or disagree with somebody, another artist, it, it's almost always something within yourself. Right. Uh, as a reflection okay. um they're making something that you wish you had made or that you want to be doing it really has nothing to do with that other person it's always within ourselves that we find disagreement or things that upset you like the many saints of new york uh new work uh where uh ray Liotta goes it's the wanting <laughs> so us being unhappy it's the wanting right so that's what what's going on here Nice, nice, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I, I, I'm going to need to do like an hour, hour and a half because you can I'll, go. I'll do as many parts as you need, right. sir. <laughs> like I told you, I'm a little chatterbox. I talk oh, to you that's, here. Yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful. I've had the not chatterboxes and getting information and, and stuff out of them is like pulling teeth. Yeah, right, <laughs> right out of them, right? Right, right out of them. I'll be good at it, though. Okay. If you had to give some advice to the next filmmaker coming up, what would you tell them, him or her? Get to work. Yeah. Get to work. If you, if you, especially the way the platforms are designed and built right now, there's literally no excuse not to, to make something. And if you're worried about it, will it be good or will anyone care about it? Who cares? Who gives a shit? You don't even have to put it out there. You can make the first 5, 10, 15, 20 of them. And if they're all garbage and you don't like it, don't put it out there. But eventually you're going to have to take that step and show people what you're making and because yeah. the, the feedback from it's critical. And you're going to discover a lot about yourself. You don't have to make it your identity. There's, there's no reason to make your work your identity. But you can let your work speak for itself. 
And then it's just really fascinating conversations with people after that. So I'm going to tell people the best advice I can give them is get to work. Nice. Nice. You have to. Nice. It's, it's incumbent upon us as creatives. We, we have to more than ever nowadays. Um, we have to demonstrate to each other that we're capable of communicating and listening to one another. And the way to do that is to put the work out there so that people can go, I have a starting point. Nice. 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 Okay. Last question. Yes. And then I'll let you get back to work. Okay. Um, tell us Likewise. about your, right. <laughs> tell us about your up and coming projects, what we should look out for. Okay. Uh, so the, the thing that I'm going to do now is like tonight is our first actual board meeting for it. We're rebooting the West Michigan Film Video Alliance. It's very likely going to be called the Film Media Alliance of West Michigan, but we are entertaining different names at the moment. Um, I've uh, proposed myself as the new executive director for that organization. My mentor and fellow board member, Deb Havens, Dr. Deb Havens, who started the organization with a group of people back in 2005, got the first help to be create the first version of the film incentives here. Um, there is a group out in the east side of the state, the Michigan Industry Film, I'm sorry, Michigan Film Industry Association or MIFIA. You can look them up at MIFIA.org. Okay. They're really pushing hard to get the film incentives restarted here with bipartisan support. Nice. And we felt that we should probably put a flag back up out here about West Michigan and the talent base out here. So uh, it's in part something like the old Film Video Alliance, but our push, our main push initially is about helping get the film incentives here because all boats rise in the tide. You bring money in, you bring industry in, and everybody starts to learn and get better. And then it's also going to be about uh, networking and education. So we have a number of people that are joining us on that tonight or Thursday when we're doing this. Um, so I would look for those types of things. There's a number of other programs that have started up. Uh, the Grand Rapids Film Society, Wealthy Theaters restarting under the guidance of Chris Kotcher and, and Claire over there and Caleb and Nick Hartman uh, and Jeff Hudson. So they're they're all starting that back up. And I would definitely keep an eye on the Wealthy Theater and what they're doing. Okay. And there's just this rebirth of this reorganization coming on post-pandemic that I'm really happy to be part of. The Grand Rapids Film Festival, I just did some stuff with them. Nice. And I'm really, more than ever, especially being in the opening night ceremonies and, and doing the Q&A for the Grand Rapids Film Festival, I was really struck by the diversity and the inclusion that's starting to come into our community. Mm -hmm. Stuff that I was just craving and like, why can I not connect or why can I not figure out how to work with people of color? It's very limiting to me mm -hmm. to not have all the opportunities that I've been graced with uh, to now see the opportunities that I can share with somebody that doesn't look like me in the mirror every morning. Mm -hmm. I, I, I absolutely cannot wait right. to see what's going to happen next. So uh, as I said, that's that's become my passion now. Uh, I have no problem writing scripts or making movies, but at a certain point, I guess it's like just fiddling with the old guitar, right? You just sort of like, oh, I know how to do this. I, I don't know if I know any new frets or new chords or anything that doesn't sound like something I've done before. Right. But there are people hungry to figure that out for themselves, and I'm happy to be a sounding board for them and help them empower and become better at what they want to do to express themselves and and try to say, well, here's your options over here. Here's your options over there. 
which way do you want to try it and and nice. be available to them when inevitably something crashes or probably even worse when they get some success i could tell them oh, be careful of this now <laughs> nice 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 okay yeah. i hey, i appreciate you coming through uh if you don't mind i'm gonna call on you again because i I got a lot of questions for you. Okay. We're going to, we going to, it doesn't even need to be during the podcast, John. You can call me anytime you like, sir. I'd be at your service. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for so much for coming on. We'll get this out here and I will holler at you again very soon. Appreciate you, brother. All the love in the world. And thank you so much to you and Jason. I really appreciate your time today. Appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. God bless, sir. Take care. Peace. Peace.